the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure, always a privilege. Today is Thursday, September the 22nd, 2022, in the year of our Lord. There are 100 days left in this year. Autumn arrives at 3.20 p.m. today, Eastern Daylight Time. On September 22nd, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln issued a preliminary Emancipation Proclamation. He declared that all slaves in rebel states should be free as of January 1, 1863. In 1776, during the Revolutionary War, Captain Nathan Hale was 21 years old. He was hanged as a spy by the British in New York. And for you baseball fans, I would be one of those. Today in 1911... Most of you don't remember that day, I'm sure. I don't, for sure. But today in 1911, pitcher Cy Young, he was 44 years old, he gained his 511th and final career victory as he pitched a 1-0 shutout for the Boston Rustlers against the Pittsburgh Pirates at Forbes Field. I just had to include that today. Today in 1949, the Soviet Union exploded its first atomic bomb. Of course, um, Putin has been threatening that Russia may need to use nuclear bombs in the Ukraine matter as well recently. Today in 1975, Sarah Jane Moore, she attempted to shoot President Gerald Ford outside a San Francisco hotel, but she missed him. She was pretty nervous. People that were there said her gun was shaking. Didn't even hit him, but she tried. One year ago today, at a virtual vaccine summit on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly, President Joe Biden said the United States was doubling to a billion doses, the purchases of Pfizer's COVID-19 shots, because he was going to share it with the world. That sounds very humanitarian, very compassion, uh, compassionate-driven. But the question that's arisen from all of this, billions and billions and billions of shots that were created and sent around the world, is who was getting the royalties from those shots? There are, it is said that there are people in government who are benefiting now from those shots. Senator Rand Paul, a doctor himself, is all over this. In fact, he's been asking Dr. Fauci that for quite some time. And I think personally that that is at least part, if not a great part, of why Fauci decided to bail out, not at the end of Joe Biden's term, as he had said previously, but to bail out of his quote-unquote position that he gets paid half a million dollars a year for and his wife another 350000 a year from the government for what she does. The reason he's going to bail out of that, I think, could be related to Senator Rand Paul's incessant questioning on this issue. Who exactly is getting royalties on these billions of shots that are being created with government money? But they're getting 
royalties as the government pays Pfizer in this case, but the others, Moderna and those as well, as the, as the government pays them for the, these shots to give away, royalties are paid to various people for various reasons. And Rand Paul has not said so out loud, but his actions tell me, and I think millions of others, that he's pretty sure that people are getting royals, royalties that not ought to not get royalties at all, like Dr. Fauci. And Dr. Fauci will not answer that question. And Rand Paul asks that every time they have a briefing by the, the committee, um, Rand Paul goes after that. The other day he said, I've asked you this every time we've met. I want to ask you again, are you getting royalties from these vaccinations, these COVID vaccinations? And he once said, uh, Fauci, it's none of your business. And uh, Rand Paul quoted that back to him, and he said, it is my business, sir. He said, I was elected to do this. And Fauci wouldn't answer the question. So that that's going to happen. And if the, if the Republicans take control of the Senate, <clears throat> and, you know, there is a chance that could happen. I mean, it's not a given, but it could happen. And I pray that it does, for better or worse, it's better. Um, th- that would become a real issue. And we would see where that is going to go and what would happen and so on with that. But that could be a real issue after this upcoming election, which is the midterm is coming up soon. November, the 1st of November. Interesting. President Biden spoke at the, uh, not only last year at this vaccine, virtual vaccine summit, that was a part of the U.N. General Assembly, but President Biden and our U.S. presidents do so. It's it's typical that they speak at the U.N. Um, meeting each year, their annual meeting there, the, the big one. Uh, President Biden actually spoke there yesterday at the U.N., and I was looking at his um, at his speech a little bit. I looked at the video, and uh, it was typically uh, President Biden at, at this point in his life. But... Um, I was looking at what he actually said, and I don't know. I was just reminded of a of an exchange in Alice between Alice and a very scornful Humpty Dumpty in Lewis Carroll's *Through the Looking Glass*. It discloses in the fairy tale. It discloses the relationship between power and language. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty says in Lewis Carroll's *Through the Looking Glass*. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty says, it means just what I choose it to mean. Nothing more, nothing less. The question is, Alice replies, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, Humpty Dumpty concludes, which is to be master. That's all. In other words, the powerful decide what a word actually means. In his speech, Biden may not have been able to see it. I don't know. But I suspect the people who wrote his address, his speech that he gave yesterday to the United Nations, I think they knew what he was saying and why. I think the speech that he gave yesterday gave a sense of just how close Humpty Dumpty is to falling off the wall as far as 
the liberal leadership, the progressive leadership in the world. And if that happens, I think these writers know. I don't know if, if Biden knows, but I think these writers, the handlers that are behind him, I think they know that all the king's men are not going to be able to put this back together again for the far left. The far left seems to be glowing with optimism on every turn, but it's because the press is so committed to them. The press is so married to the idea, democracy, democracy, democracy. We hear it all the time, but what is democracy? Well, it's what I say it is. Power, in other words, is the final word about semantics. Meaning is the dictate of the strong to the weak. The framework of this classic, Through the Looking Glass, is the key to understanding President Biden's address to the leaders of our global village yesterday. And I'm not going to get into his speech. I've got other things to talk about. But the United Nations General Assembly on Wednesday heard our president, the most powerful nation in the world, and has been, we're at a tipping point, I believe, if we don't make some changes. But specifically, you have to ask yourself, what did they hear? I mean, the people that are not in cognitive decline, people that really do know what is being said. It's no secret that in the contest between democracy and autocracy, President Joe Biden told the world, the United States and I, as president, champion a vision for our world that is grounded in the values of democracy. But our nation is a republic, and our founders specifically, deliberately, intentionally, created a republic, not necessarily a democracy. Yes, we function on democracy-related principles, but we are a republic. And these guys, and we have gotten to a point in America where it it concerns me that we, we use interchangeably republican democracy. And all you hear from the left anymore is so-and-so, or this group, or that group, or this person, or Donald Trump, I mean, all the time, is undermining and destroying our democracy. Donald Trump is destroying our democracy. Anybody that disagrees with the pre-described the narrative, the drumbeat of the left, who say they are for democracy, anybody that disagrees with that is suddenly labeled as a domestic terrorist. It doesn't matter if you're a parent. And you go to the school board meeting and say, man, I don't like you bringing these drag queens into my five-year-old's classroom and, and doing their thing and normalizing it and all of this. You are a problem. We know that. It happened in Virginia. It's happened in other states just over the last number of months and year. You become a domestic terrorist. You become the enemy. And then you're defined as the enemy to be silenced because they say, well, the word democracy means this or that or whatever. That's the kind of a world we live in. It's very confusing. It's very difficult to get a grip on reality and truth. It's been said the truth is a lonely warrior, and certainly truth is a lonely warrior in today's world. Biden said the United States is determined to defend and strengthen democracy at home and around the world, because I believe democracy reminds humanity's great, remains humanity's greatest instrument to address the challenges of our time. But what is democracy, 
Mr. President. It's whatever I say it is, according to Humpty Dumpty. And I think Humpty Dumpty has a point. And if you disagree, you become the enemy, the domestic terrorist, or whatever. That concerns me, and that's one of the things that sort of motivates me to keep doing what we're doing on this program. I want to take a moment to thank you. Thank you so much for your support. We um, want to keep on the air, and we want to keep talking and doing what we do. And, of course, as I've said many times, but it's very close to my heart and mind, I could not be doing this if there weren't those who support us. And to all of you who do, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And to those of you who believe in what we're doing and think it's worthwhile, but you haven't supported us or haven't been supporting recently, I would like to encourage you to prayerfully consider it. If the Lord doesn't prompt you to support us, don't do it. But just ask the Lord if he would have you to join us. We need your help. We need you to stand with us. These are trying times. These are very deceptive times. I'm not suggesting that we have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, but God does. And to the degree that we can point people, and believe me, there is a, a an army of people listening to these programs, this program, at the moment, that do not necessarily believe in my or your politics, or certainly your religious, spiritual beliefs, biblical beliefs, but they're listening. And we know, we see evidence of that. So thank you for standing with us. Box, our address is Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. We need you to stand with us. Thank you in advance. We look at our screwed up world and we kind of wonder sometimes, man, how do you respond to this? Well, I'll tell you how to respond to it. It's written years ago, many, many years ago, Psalm 106. It says, Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his, his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy the good of thy goodness, of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. Those are the kinds of responses. Psalm 107 begins the same way, but says, O give thanks unto the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. In fact, it continues and says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. <laughs> so, say so. Talk about the Lord and his goodness to yourself and others, and be informed and just keep walking. That's how we live in today's world. I want to talk to you a little bit about Yeshiva University. You've probably never heard of it, but it's it's the only Orthodox Jewish university in America. It's been sued by gay students, and I'll tell you how many in a moment. That's key. By gay students for refusing to host or sanction an LGBTQ club. That's not a, that's not a first-time occasion, as we all know. That's happening all the time to other Christian schools. Well, now the Jewish, the Orthodox Jewish University 
is being has been sued. The courts have ruled that Yeshiva University is a non-religious organization, is therefore subject to New York City human rights laws in New York City. As such, they're saying it must immediately grant plaintiff, the Yeshiva University Pride Alliance, the full equal accommodations as all the other people. I don't know what all clubs they have there. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have a Youth for Christ club, but whatever they have. But it's stunning that the court would rule against a religious organization with a ruling that flies in the face of George Washington's understanding of the Constitution. And I want to get back to that in a moment. George Washington actually actually addressed the Jewish community right after, I mean, right during the time that our nation was being formed. They were in Rhode Island. And, and they were they had questions, and they were a little concerned about things like, I'm just sharing with you now that might happen to them, to their community, and to their, their faith, and so on. So I'll come back to that and tell you what Washington told them in a minute, because it's very applicable now. But back in June of this year, the Jerusalem Post reported that the New York County Court ruled that New York's Yeshiva University is required to grant recognition to this LGBTQ club. They're, they call themselves the YU Pride Alliance Group. The Post said, the Jerusalem Post said, Judge Lynn Kotler ruled on Tuesday, this was back in, in June a couple of months ago, that the YU as a non-religious organization is subject to the New York City human rights law and directed it to, quote, immediately grant plaintiff, the Pride Club affiliate, the full equal accommodations, advantages, facilities, and privileges afforded to all other student groups at Yeshiva University. In the decision, the judge determined, this woman, determined that Yeshiva University is not a religious corporation and therefore cannot ban a certain group because of the Jewish faith. In other words, because they are not the right kind of a corporation, she's saying that they, their Jewish faith doesn't count. Now, there, there's a lot of innuendo in that, in that ruling, but that's what she said. So the Yeshiva University argued that despite not defining itself as a religious corporation in official documents, the fa- in fact, they teach intense religious studies, and they do, focused on Jewish faith, and they have a deeply religious character as a Jewish university. And it should allow it, that should allow it to be treated as a religious entity, and its decision to reject the Yeshiva University Pride Alliance should be protected under the First Amendment. That's basically the issue here. But this Judge Lynn Kotler ordered that the defendants, Yeshiva University and President Ari Berman, be, quote, permanently restrained from continuing their refusal to officially recognize this Pride Alliance as a student organization because of the member's sexual orientation or gender and slash or you, why you pride alliance status, mission, activities, blah, blah, blah. So the Yeshiva University Alliance is this group in the university. I understand that in a free, free country, it doesn't matter how many But you should know that this Yeshiva University Pride Alliance consists of one student and three alumni. 
and they're all buddies. In response, the university argued that the court's ruling violated the religious liberty upon which this country was founded. And this decision permits courts to interfere in the international affairs of religious schools and hospitals and other charitable organizations. Any ruling, the Jewish people are saying, that they claim that yeshiva is not religious is wrong. And in their case that they make, they go back to our first president and kind of the father of America, the United States, and they quote him. That's why I'm going to. But ultimately, a court order was issued to force the university to act against its religious beliefs. Then a hold was placed on the court order. Now, that brings us up to today, from June up to now. Now, the Supreme Court has weighed in a couple of days ago, and NBC reported it like this yesterday. NBC reports that this issue has now been taken under consideration by the Supreme Court of the United States. On Wednesday, they say, by a 5-4 to four vote, the justices lifted the temporary hold, forcing, again, forcing the Jewish university to recognize the LGBTQ organization, even as the legal fight in New York continues. So NBC explains the vote like this, and I'm quoting NBC on this matter. Two conservatives... Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice uh, Justice um, Brett Kavanaugh sided with the court's three liberal justices to form a majority with the far-left people, the people that Obama placed on there and so on. NBC also said this, quote, A New York State trial in June ordered Yeshiva to recognize the club. Yeshiva asked the U.S. Supreme Court to intervene. On Wednesday, the justices voted 5-4 to to hold off the university until the university has exhausted all avenues at the state level. NBC then says this, the vote was widely reported as a defeat for yeshiva. So they would leave in the minds of the reader, you and me and any uninformed people, they would leave in the mind, wow, it's too bad that yeshiva university doesn't get to practice and believe and stand for their Jewish faith and teach it in their university, the only Orthodox Jewish university in America. It's really too bad, isn't it? Now Yeshiva University has suspended, in reaction to that, they've suspended all student clubs after the U.S. Supreme Court ordered the Jewish school last week to recognize the homosexual club. Well... (laughs) NBC is either lying or they're, they're trying to mislead people or they simply don't know. Was it really a defeat? Were they really siding with the liberals? The New York Post got it right. They lean conservative. They're very, I think, truthful in their reporting. The New York Post said this up against what NBC said about this matter. And this matter really matters because it affects all of the institutions that are Christian um, created, the hospitals and schools and not just churches, but all of it in America. Here's what the New York Post had to say. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito did something Wednesday justices almost never do. He announced how the court would rule in a future case. Alito made the stunning pronouncement that if Yeshiva University loses to the U. Uh, YU Pride Alliance in New York State courts, the Supreme Court will likely 
take the case, and Yeshiva would likely win. That is a big deal. He goes on to say, Alito goes on to say, Christianity is 2,000 years old and Jewish teachings are even older. LGBTQ advocates are demanding these faiths change their tenets overnight to accommodate gay rights, and many politicians agree. But the court's view, he says, is not so fast. The university is fighting to stay true to its timeless Torah values, values we find in our Old Testament. In August of 1790, President George Washington visited Rhode Island, which a few months earlier had ratified the U.S. Constitution. Among those who welcomed the new president was the Hebrew Congregation of Rhode Island, founded in 1763, now known as the Turo Synagogue. It's the oldest standing synagogue in our nation. The synagogue's representative wrote to the president expressing gratitude that Jews in Rhode Island in the newly formed United States of America lived in contrast to their co-religionists in other parts of the world. We all know the story of persecution on the, and toward the Jews. So they were speaking to that way back then. And they spoke of the invaluable rights, their invaluable rights as free citizens. Washington wrote back to the congregation, and here's what he said. He said, May the children of the stock of Abraham who dwell in this land continue to merit and enjoy the goodwill of the other inhabitants. While everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree, and there shall be none to make him afraid. A little more than a year later, the guarantee of religious freedom would be formally enshrined in the Constitution with the ratification of the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment saying, of course, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Star Parker saw this yesterday, too, and she wrote an article in it. She said, now in a sad stroke of irony, the religious freedom of the observant Jews is being threatened not only by other inhabitants, but by their own co-religionists. This is true in Christian churches as well. In reading Parker's comments, I was reminded that the Roman statesman Marcus Tullius Cicero, I mentioned him from time to time. He said a lot of things that are worth repeating. He is considered by most historians the last significant voice, the last defender of the Roman Republic, not the Roman democracy. Finally, Cicero had become the lonely voice for the politics and the principles of the Republic. The government was corrupt and there was lawlessness everywhere in Rome at that time. To silence his voice, Mark Antony murdered Cicero by beheading him, to shut him up, to silence him, in 43 B.C. Cicero had become a, we would say, domestic terrorist, because he spoke against the forces that were undermining the very foundations of the Republic, and they were doing so in the terms of democracy. He was famous for his unparalleled powers of speech. His death ushered in the Roman Empire. His informed voice was silenced. He had said a nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. An enemy at the gates is less formidable, for he is known and carries his banner openly, but the traitor moves amongst those within the gate freely. His sly whispers, rustling through all the alleys, heard in the very hallways of government. 
For the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar to his victims, and he wears their face in their arguments. He appeals to the baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.